Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited with our guest today. We're going to be talking quite a bit about building and scaling, about the coming here to the U.S., doing a little bit of the corporate side of things, and then diving into it and taking the leap of faith. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Anand Janefalkar. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So originally born there in India. So let's do a little bit of a walk through memory lane. So how were the upbringings for you there? Yeah, as you can imagine, it's uh, in India there, at least in the days that I grew up, uh, you had to basically uh, pick either engineering or being, being an engineer or a doctor. And otherwise, you're a social outcast. Uh, things are much, much better now. Uh, and uh, with my dad being a chemical engineer, obviously, engineering was the path that uh, I, I gravitated towards um, the other kind of aspect of uh, living in a pretty large population that is uh, very uh, technically adept is the competition. So I think the early uh, things that shaped me up for the journey that I am on today is uh, essentially a lot of competition, understanding that the world is a global market. And uh, yeah, everything followed after that. So in your case, I mean, as you were saying, engineering. I mean, why why is the why is that pressure in in India happening around either becoming a doctor or becoming an engineer? What what's going on with that? I think in those days it was largely because uh, people were looking around themselves, and the the careers that were really taking off were in the engineering and medical space. There was a lot of pharmaceutical companies that. Uh, we're seeing explosion uh, in a way from not just manufacturing, but uh, research. Uh, on the engineering side, it was a lot about managed services and uh, building websites. This was pre-2000, before I started my undergrad. And uh, I think those were the main reasons. I mean, everyone loves uh, job continuity and stability in their careers and uh, the opportunity to do more. So I think those were the main motivations why people uh, uh, kind of were leaning towards those professions. So why coming to the U.S.? Because obviously that was a pivotal moment for you in your career. Yeah, very good question. Uh, so I had a little bit of a different uh, viewpoint, uh, and I found that out pretty early in my uh, journey in engineering. Well, even before engineering, yes, my dad's uh, engineering background was a, was an influence on, on picking that kind of uh, uh, path. However, 
I, I really vividly remember looking at, I mean, different kinds of media, right? Media was getting ubiquitous then and uh, movies. And, and, and in, in a movie, I remember that I had looked at a car phone. And that had really uh, sparked my interest on how does wireless communication work or cordless communication at that point, And how do you uh, ensure the quality for that? And that led into interest in satellite communications. That led interest into cellular communications. And I was certain that I wanted to go ahead and uh, build cellular devices. So uh, that led to looking at doing research and uh, doing my master's in telecommunications, which led me to uh, to Dallas to do my master's in telecommunication, and uh, the rest is rest is history. But I mean, you, in this case, I mean, you were in in Motorola for for quite a bit. Yes. But then you you know after six years there doing the telecommunications, you you kind of like took a different approach, and you know rather than being in the you know super large uh, type of uh, corporations, you know, like you decided to join Startup Land. Yeah, and uh, that was also a very kind of interesting uh, uh, trajectory, if you will. What Motorola did for me, uh, Motorola was an incredibly great company to be an employee. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a great company to be a customer, at least in the latter days. However, uh, I cut my teeth with the most amazing uh, people around me. Uh, people that had tons and tons of research backgrounds, scaling backgrounds, security, the domain processes, the Six Sigma. Uh, I do attribute a lot of my professional upbringing uh, and security and scale to what I l- learned at Motorola. And what I found out more and more as uh, in the years from uh, 2003 to 2009 and uh, beyond is that, yes, you can build incredible hardware, which we used to do at Motorola. But the world did not care about hardware as much as they cared about user experience. And user experience was coming on in a very, very big manner post-2006. And what I quickly realized is that uh, user experience is where the world is going. And I also figured out that to make an impact in the next generation of devices, services, or anything like that, uh, I was not going to have that opportunity uh, at Motorola, because a lot of the focus was mainly on hardware, which again was our bread and butter. So that uh, led me to take the leap of faith, and uh, I also was always very entrepreneurial and looking at the trends, the infrastructure, and the uh, the investor circles in uh, in the Bay Area were extremely appealing, uh, and that's what led to me making the move from Chicagoland to uh, to the San Francisco Bay Area. So what, what, what was that like? Because I'm sure it was uh, shocking. I mean, it was not only shocking at the employment level, because here now it was all about hyper growth and a different you know, mindset. And, but then also you were probably exposed to now the entrepreneurial drive, the innovation you know, side of things, everyone with great ideas you know, in the Bay Area. So, so how were those two fronts? You know, because I'm sure those were quite shocking to you. Yeah, I mean, on multiple levels. Shocking is, uh, yeah, somewhere shocking, definitely surprising and new. It's a funny story. One of the first uh, kind of shocking experiences I had was when I uh, was interviewing at a company in the Bay Area and uh, someone offered me a, a beer <laughs> and after the interview. 
And I thought that it was a trick question because uh, at least in those days in in Chicagoland at at Motorola, you needed a liquor license to be able to serve alcohol on premise. And I I really thought there there was a trick question, but later I found out that it's uh, it's common practice. So uh, it's kind of a funny uh, uh, experience there. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's a very different focus. Uh, The focus was... I think my motivation uh, and the inspiration was to understand user experience. The world had moved on from the 90s or early 2000s where uh, people are like, yeah, you need to go through a a 100-page catalog to understand how complicated the service is and to use it uh, really effectively to technology disappears in the background and the user experience shines and the ease of use shines. And that's one of the things that I attribute uh, to uh, learning that intimately at Jawbone. And so it's a little bit of a shift of uh, understanding on, yes, you need to design services with scale security and user experience in mind, but the user experience should not be uh, kind of taking the backseat where you need to have tons and tons of help doing that. And I think it's evident uh, with the advent of smartphones. No one reads a manual before you start using your smartphone. It is the user experience that shines. So. very different from from that perspective, and I am um, eternally thankful that I made that move and I was accepted in this community. Um, and then uh, the other understanding is how you need to expand your um, just skill set to not just engineering and not just building teams, not just leadership, but to having an appreciation for uh, marketing and sales, uh, because that is something that you don't really get at big companies is that, yes, there is a machine of sales and marketing, but you're working in the engineering and technical side of things. You really don't appreciate how much effort and money and uh, the emotional hooks are needed for getting the consumer's attention or the target market's attention. So all of those things were very, very evident from early days uh, in the Bay Area and uh, all of that kind of the culmination of all that is when I decided to start UJet is uh, what helped me on this journey and hopefully will continue to help me and my team. So then let's talk about that. So so how did you come across the idea of UJet and and how do you realize that, hey, you know, like I, I think it makes sense for me to really, you know, getting this idea in this bus and take it to a direction of success? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of stumbled upon it, but uh, I think uh, the main reason for that is I wanted to always start a company. I, th- I thought that the elements that I had in my uh, kind of skill set were building great teams, retention, positioning people for internal and external success, uh, as well as the technical know-how. Uh, but I wanted to take that further into a very impactful and a high user experience-led uh, effort. And when I asked myself, what is the biggest problem that I face on a regular basis? And if you look at uh, my last name, you're one of the few that pronounces it really well. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you try to get on a customer support call and have them pronounce that, let alone send them an email to you, which is my last name at, uh, at the popular uh, email address. Uh, I never get those emails. And to me, having the background of... Uh, doing a little bit with this macro shift of people uh, absorbing and communicating in, in the modern world with smartphones, it almost felt like it's it's a broken path or a broken interaction when you, you talk to customer support. Because today, when you communicate with friends and family, you communicate visually and contextually, sharing photos, videos, screenshots, locations, uh, other metadata. 
and all that happens automatically. Whereas when you get on a support call, you're taking the same two humans who are very digitally acquainted, who are very much in the uh, interaction model of communicating visually, contextually, and using all these smartphone APIs. You're kind of taking their senses, you're almost erasing the senses that they use in everyday life and asking them to jump on a conversation to solve a problem. So that was very, very intriguing to me. And that was uh, what led me to uh, going into this path is like, there needs to be a system which is really adapting an interaction model as a technologist, you don't get this opportunity to too often, is to build something with a behavior change that has happened in the 2008, 2009, uh, almost uh, seven, eight years before I started UGIF. And ensuring that the continuity of those interactions uh, go beyond just the, the sales cycle and go to the support cycle and the post-sales service and retention and expansion. So that was very, very compelling. And when I looked at the sector, uh, there was no one that had the, the, the technical know-how or the uh, interest, seems like, in uh, taking a customer communication or customer experience to the smartphone era. So then let's talk about business models. So how, how do you guys, for the people that are listening, I mean, what is the business model and how do you guys make money? Yeah, so I, I think before understanding the business model, uh, I would love to uh, say the problem statement. Go for and the it. problem statement is that today, consumers, pretty much for any product and service, uh, communicate through the three main connection points that are separate from what our uh, industry calls channels. Our industry calls channels as phone, chat, and uh, kind of uh, self-serve or FAQs. However, when your consumers are connecting with yourself for any product and service, usually they're connecting through the mobile, mobile app or mobile browser. They're either just picking up the phone, uh, they're searching on their favorite search engine and looking at a support phone number, or they are just going to the web and trying to look for answers. So the, the problem statement is that you need to meet the customer at the connection point and not just keep pushing the channels that you might have for the last 10, 20 years. And that is what the value prop is. And our business model is that taking the two ends of the conversation, right? There is the consumer and there is the support team. Whether a support team is communicating in voice chat, SMS, uh, FAQs and all that, that is secondary because both sides have a device that does not have the limitation of just doing voice, just doing chat or just doing SMS and so on and so forth, which was the issue 10 years ago. So to make sure that uh, channel in between them the interaction model in between them is the smartphone era. That is what uh, UJet does. And our business model is to enable these communications in a very fluid and rich uh, context manner and a visual and contextual uh, enablement so that when uh, these two endpoints or these two humans are communicating with each other, they don't feel like it's different from communicating with friends and family. And a lot of the information that's already available in their account, in their app, after they're logging on the web page, furthermore to their customer record and past history is immediately rendered onto the agent screen without deep integration with the CRMs so that they, uh, they can solve the problem very quickly. Um, and I think uh, the kind of, I'll just state one nuance about the business model, which is it's, it's not about just like nickeling and diming and saying like, oh, it's like a, just a transaction-based one. It is more about the resolution-based model. So uh, that is different. And what I saw in the sector, it's, it's very much just uh, time-based and not resolution-based. So that is the difference that uh, uh, the, the viewers or the 
the listeners to this podcast would uh, realize when they dig deeper into our solution is it's a very different take even from the the billing and um, business model perspective. Now, as we're talking about business, I mean, your background is very much engineer, uh, engineering, right. no? And, and, and this is your first company really where you're taking the lead on the business side. And I know for a fact that transitioning from the engineering mindset or the engineering background to blending it into the business side of things is not easy. So how what you what what have you done in order to really get up to speed quickly? Fantastic question. Luckily, when uh I was uh early days in my uh even at the end of my high school, I came from a decent uh, family but we weren't we didn't have a lot of money. So uh one of my summer jobs actually one of my first jobs was selling internet service packages dial-up service packages on the streets of bombay and so very early on i had the appreciation for sales but uh uh so that that really helped it it wasn't just a complete change of a viewpoint of the world is like okay why why do i need to do sales or why do i need to do that so always had that appreciation um and then luckily i got uh introduced to a lot of great people that were subject matter experts in the sector for sales and marketing. But like I say, that it, it, it's not easy to have like just a complete paradigm shift in, in your thinking. So uh, for things like that, I just always rely on uh, hiring people or uh, people that are smarter than me to join that effort. Absolutely. And, and, and when it comes to business, you know, and to you, Jet, I mean, you guys have raised quite a bit of money too. How much have you raised so far? We've raised over $100 million from top investors. Got it. I mean, you've definitely raised from top investors. I mean, some of the names, you know, that, that we have there, you know, are people like Google Ventures, CD Ventures, Kleiner Perkins, Sapphire Ventures, DCM. I mean, you, you yeah. have like the, like if it was the, the Oscars on the red carpet, you have them all, the VCs, all the top ones, you know, they're walking, you know, with their tuxedos or with their dresses on. I mean, how did you manage to do that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you say that, but if you look at these investors, they're 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 extremely human, and they're very much driven to solve problems uh, the same way that I am. And uh, I'm I'm grateful that they took a chance on an engineer to, uh, that has no background in customer support, <laughs> but has background in user experience to bring right. user experience to customer support. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been fortunate, but I think it's also because uh, these leading investors have taken. Uh, a chance more on the the user experience side of things, and then helped us capitalize so that uh, we can move a little faster, as, as opposed to raising lesser money and going a little bit slower. As you can see around ourselves today, having brand awareness is something that is really really important. Otherwise, there's someone else that will have better brand awareness, and even if they have a worse solution, uh, technically, it doesn't really matter. So uh, I am definitely very happy that we've been able to uh, capitalize the company in a manner that helps us to move fast. Uh, and uh, brand awareness is something that we are really solidly working on right now because we've proven pretty much everything else. Uh, we are uh, seven quarters in a row. We are rated number one in uh, customer satisfaction on G2 Crowd. And we've proven our scaling and security side as well. We have all certifications. Uh, except FedRAMP, which we will have uh, later this year. So, um, yeah, it, it's been a great journey, and uh, the investors have definitely uh, helped uh, quite a bit. I, 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 I often uh, lean on their pattern recognition to 
to understand what are the basic business trends that you see at a company of our size and scale and where it needs to be. So, um, and then the, the team. Uh, if any entrepreneurs listening out there, technology is predictable. People are not. So always over-index on hiring the right people. And, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are listening that are foreigners, you know, just like you and I, yes. uh, that are also first-time entrepreneurs that uh, maybe don't have the connections and that were just, you know, in your same situation when you were thinking, hey, you know, I need to raise money for this. Any strategy or, or method that you use that ended up being super effective and beneficial for you in order to get in front of the right people and in order to close them? Uh, yeah, I mean, that. Uh, if, if that is a question that people have, uh, I'm probably a living example that uh, it doesn't matter about these connections. Just be genuine and have the drive and passion to do it. Because when I started raising money, I did not know anyone at all in the VC community. I emailed my network, and thankfully, a couple of people introduced to their investors and the connections that they had. Uh, but I think one of the things that, uh, and I don't want to speak for my investors, but I'm sure that one of the things that they will say is uh, the authenticity and the drive is what they saw in in our team that continues, uh, that helps them continue to back us and participate in every every follow-up round. Got it. So now in terms of you know the journey ahead and how things are panning out, if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the mission and vision of UJet is fully realized, what does mm -hmm. that world look like? Uh, that world would look like when, for I'll give a couple of examples. Uh, one of the most kind of uh, painful ones today is when you're calling in for a, let's say, pre-certification of a CT scan or an MRI, you get asked so many questions, things that are just not related to uh, what you're trying to accomplish. And you're always anxious and worried about that situation because it's a very difficult uh, situation that you're in if you want to get uh, kind of go into imaging for, for you or your loved ones. To so the ability to do that in a very, very effective manner in the minimum amount of time and accurately and with automation, be able to pass that information visually and contextually uh, to the healthcare provider uh, that would look very different. It would be in a matter of a couple of minutes because they already have your information on file. They can verify you through Touch ID, Face ID, the same way you do with your other apps, and then be able to share some of your insurance information, take a picture of your card, and so on and so forth. Let's say you're on the highway and you have, you're driving along and uh, something chips your windshield. You're, you're pulling on the side, you're calling your favorite uh, company that's going to help fix the glass as well as your insurance company, being able to have that three, four, five-way call in, in a matter of seconds, get connected, have your uh, insurance card uh, already teed up to be shared with the team, your location automatically sent over there, getting the tow truck. Those are the things that it will enable. It will enable getting more of your time back. It will enable getting less frustrated on support calls on things that you're trying to achieve and uh, get resolved. That is what the world would look like. And I can go on and on, but these are a couple of things that uh, should resonate with the, with the audience. Now, in terms of the, you know, for the people that are listening to really get an understanding of the scope and size of UJET, I mean, anything that you can share, maybe number of employees or anything else? Yeah, we're, we're uh, above 200 employees is what we're sharing. Uh, and uh, we're, we'll be a seven-year-old company in July. So we're, uh, we're, we're 
still the youngest uh, uh, company in this uh, kind of the sector that's uh, that's managing certain large enterprise accounts. But yeah, the uh, what we want to do from here is really increase our brand awareness is the thing that we we really need to work on the most and uh, just getting people to know us and getting uh, people to understand how this can help them with uh, not only uh, customer loyalty, but repeat customers as well as uh, reducing churn on their products and services. In the last year, I mean, you guys have grown the team by about 49%. And uh, according to some of the public data that I was able to come across. Now, I think that when you grow fast the organization, you know, typically things may tend to break. So in order to avoid that and to make sure that people are very much aligned with the culture and the mindset, how do you guys go about that? Great question. Yeah. And we've typically doubled uh, every year, both from a standpoint of uh, the team as well as as revenue and stuff. I strongly believe that when you're uh, a founder and CEO, you're, you're more of a chief enablement officer than chief executive officer. Yes, you need to have your your, your day job as a CEO, but uh, the real thing that you're doing once the team is past 25 to 50 people is really ensuring that all of the practices that helped you have a successful team from 25 to 50 team members is continue to do that in terms of culture, in terms of hiring practices, in terms of effectiveness. We spend a lot of time ensuring that we're hiring the right people. We like to get emotionally attached to whoever we, we're going to hire because we don't believe that it's just a a, a transactional uh, kind of relationship here. We, we enable people, we position them to be successful both internally and externally. So we spend a lot of time on our hiring. And what that has allowed us to do is not only maintain an extremely high level of effectiveness, uh, but also uh, maintain our culture. Our, our culture values are are very much uh, very straightforward, uh, being human, uh, being accountable, being respectful, being transparent, and speaking up whenever you see something's wrong. And having clear guidelines around that, having that dialogue with your team members, regardless of, it, it doesn't really matter whether you're two levels or three levels. So we try to have a very flat organization, but it still doesn't matter. You can speak up if you're seeing something is not working right. And uh, that has enabled us across the board, whether it's my direct reports or their direct reports, um, to maintain a, a very clear understanding of where the struggles are, where whether they're technical struggles, where they're human struggles, where they are uh, organizational struggles. And um, uh, now being global and having employees in over seven countries, it, it really helps having that clear, open communication and uh, quarterly meetings with every single team. That's amazing. You know, that reminds me of the uh, the the statement that I would see on the subway on in New York City that it said, "If you see something, say something." So exactly, yeah, good stuff. Good it's stuff. It's amazing how that can help because uh, if you enable people to uh, speak up and share things, of course, they also have to be accountable and be respectful, and they can't cry wolf all the time. So that's why all of these uh, values go hand in hand but it really gives you a deep understanding of how things look like from various different perspectives and not just yours. A hundred percent. Now, imagine I put you into a time machine Mm -hmm. and I bring you back in time to that moment, you know, about five years or so when you were thinking about starting UJet, you know, if you could go and have a sit down with that younger Anand, 
Yes. And share with that younger Anand, based on now the wealth of knowledge, you know, what has uh, worked out, what hasn't worked out, what, uh, you know, the fundraising or engaging with the great investors that you're engaging now. I mean, yeah. if you were able to have a sit down and give that younger Anand one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah. Uh, fantastic. I actually think about this a lot every day. Uh, what I would do differently, I wouldn't do anything else differently except for this thing. I would hire a sales leader in my first five hires. And furthermore, I would invest more in marketing and channel, especially for enterprise software. Those are the things that I feel uh, that I didn't have a great understanding about, obviously, because I didn't... Uh, this is my first uh, enterprise software gig. <laughs> uh, that would be one singular big thing that I would tell myself. And um, I, I think we could have been where we are uh, at least a year or two years ago if I would have known that. And why why the sales individual? You know, uh, why? Uh, because uh, as a technical founder, what you tend to think do just naturally is over-index on making robust uh, technology. And um, it, it's great that we were able to do that, but having a sales marketing channel understanding as the very early DNA of the company, especially in enterprise software, uh, there's, there's just no substitute for that. So uh, I think what that would have done is just accelerated our path even more. I, I think we're pretty fast growing. I think we're in one of the fastest growing companies in the sector, if not all enterprise software, but that would have even furthermore kind of accelerated our path. And uh, I think that's something that I will carry with myself to any any future ventures that I may uh, embark on. Uh, but that is, that is absolutely what I would tell myself <laughs> uh, to even three, four years ago, if not five years. Nice. Now, a obviously, first-time founder, you know, Anand, remarkable journey. What would you say is a book that you wish you would have read sooner? Uh, I would have just uh, spoken to a lot more people that have uh, had these journeys. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the human connection. I believe that you're a product of your relationships and experiences. I would have just met a lot of people that have uh, done this before. And unfortunately, I didn't have the network or the connections uh, when I started this. But rather than reading a book, and again, no, uh, no problem with books and stuff, but I, I would rather talk to the individuals that have been there and done that and learn from their uh, pattern recognition, lessons learned, and uh, help guide my journey so that I don't make the same mistakes or the same things that they had to painfully learn, I would, I would benefit from that. History repeats, as they say. Eh? So, um, History repeats, uh, and there are just certain best practices that you learn or you architect best practices, and I want to know them from the architects. A hundred percent. So, Anand, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hello? My LinkedIn is probably the best way. The absolute best way is through a connection. And I think uh, if there's one piece of information that I'd like to share with uh, any entrepreneurs or budding uh, uh, technologists is that uh, the way that I got connected to the investors is through a second degree connection. 
Um, so reach out to me at uh, anand at uzed.cx uh, or over my LinkedIn. Amazing. Well, Anand, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.